going forward, it's not only going to be about energy. We are all going to require to take a more holistic approach in this whole energy transition in terms of EV, uh, storage, uh, battery technologies. So I think it's going to take a combined holistic view beyond just electricity and energy generation to start moving the needle in sustainability, uh, not only in India, but across the world. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I'm Tekla von Bülow, Project Leader for Commission Projects at Aurora's office in Berlin. Today's podcast will be all about artificial intelligence in energy, and I'm delighted to introduce you to my wonderful guest on the show today. He is a real-world citizen and usually a globetrotter, but for the first time in years, he is at home with his family, which is in Delhi, India. He is the former president and CEO of General Electric in India, and he's the founder and CEO of Bharat Light and Power. My guest on the show today is T.P. Chopra, all the way from India. Welcome, T.P. Thank you very much, Tekla, for having me on the show, and I'm really excited to be on the show. Thank you, T.P. Wonderful to have you on the show. Before we start off, I would like to give our listeners a bit of background uh, on you. You are an economist by training. You studied at St. Stephen's College in Delhi, and then you did an MBA at Cornell University. You're an Aspen Fellow and a young global leader of the World Economic Forum, as well as a member of YPO, uh, the Young President's Organization. You had a, a long career at GE, started off at GE Capital Aviation Services, and then you went on to become the president and CEO of GE in India. In 2011, you decided to become an entrepreneur and founded Bharat Light and Power, or BLP. Now, TP, a lot of listeners will not have heard about BLP yet. So to start off, uh, would you mind introduce our listeners to BLP and uh, what your company does? Thanks very much, uh, Tekla. Uh, BLP stands for Bharat Light and Power. Uh, Bharat is the Indian word for India. And after I left, the reason I left GE was because I was passionate about clean energy and I wanted to do something to give back to the country. And that's why I left GE back in 2011 to create and start a clean energy generation platform uh, focused on building, owning and operating wind and solar farms. So that is one part of the company. And we have another part of the company focused on enterprise AI and IoT solutions uh, for a variety of industries, including energy, oil and gas, auto, manufacturing, ports. Uh, so basically, we provide AI and IoT technologies to drive productivity. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, we will be talking about all the, the wonderful things you do around AI. So before we jump into the topics, um, I would like you to ask um, a, a personal question, if I may. Um, I, I find you an incredible uh, or incredibly passionate leader, um, and you really deeply care about the issues um, in the world. 
if it is even possible to say, what would you say is kind of your biggest passion and, and what's your biggest concern? Tekla, my biggest passion is really around three or four core areas. And that was part of the reason why I gave up my corporate career to actually do something that I was passionate about. The first one is clean energy and sustainability. I just believe that it's a time in the world where all of us need to do something about it, uh, given the situation with regards to climate change, pollution that I was seeing all over the world. And that's why my big passion was, was about, you know, wanting to do something about it. If I rewind the clock back to 2011, 2012 timeframe, it was a time within India where at that point in time, we had 300 million people who didn't have access to energy. Uh, and the three famous A's in the world of energy were a big issue in India, which are accessibility, affordability, and availability of energy. And I was really passionate about wanting to do something about that to go out there and try to fix the problem. So for a country with 1.4 billion people, I really wanted to see if I could make a difference in trying to give back to society. So that's my first passion. My second passion is investing. In other words, I do believe that in a lot of our emerging markets around the world, infrastructure is gonna be a big theme over the next 10 years because there's a lot to be done uh, you know, especially in just building out the basics of infrastructure in these parts of the world. And the question is, how do we actually figure out ways to raise capital and deploy capital to really do to drive sustainability in infrastructure around the world? And the third area is around technology and innovation. I do believe that over the next 20 years, technology and innovation is going to play a critical role, regardless of what sector you're in whether it's in infrastructure, manufacturing, uh, in all elements of society, uh, technology and innovation is gonna play a big role. So I really do believe these three areas are a core passion from a work perspective. And from a really personal perspective, I do believe I, it's, it's important for all of us to think, how do we give back to our societies and how do we give back to our countries and make a difference? Yeah, thank you, CP. That's um, super inspirational. And luckily, we will be talking about your passions today. Um, we will be talking about renewable energy and, and uh, especially talking about artificial intelligence um, and the new technologies that you see coming in. Um, let's start off uh, maybe to give our listeners um, a bit of an impression of uh, the renewable energy build-out in India. Um, India is a country that has massively invested in renewable energy, and today approximately 36% of India's in-stock capacity is from renewable sources. However, as you just said, it's a country of 1.4 billion people, and hundreds of millions of people um, are still without access to electricity. The government has ambitions, ambitious targets uh, of 175 gigawatts of renewable energies until 2022, which is 60 gigawatts from wind, 100 gigawatts from solar, uh, 10 gigawatts from biomass, 5 gigawatts from small hydropower. Uh, and in addition to that, has a, a target from of 500 gigawatts uh, by 2030. Where do you stand today? And, and are these government targets realistic, in your opinion? Thanks for that question, because I think all over the world, the energy transition is going to be one of the biggest themes over the next 20 years. And I must say, India's done a fabulous job in really, and the government's done a fabulous job in kickstarting that whole process uh, in this whole energy transition. The government, as you mentioned, has set out a target of, of about 175 gigawatts 
of renewable capacity by 2022, and now in fact has increased that target to about 450 gigawatts of renewable capacity over the next 10, 20 years. And therefore these targets are really big. Now, to, if we rewind the clock of where we were in the renewable energy journey, precisely not even 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, to where we are today, the country's come a long, long way in adding wind and solar capacity, including hydro and biomass, but largely on wind and solar. And on the wind side, we have already added close to about 35 gigawatts. And on the solar side, it's over 30 gigawatts. And I really do believe that, you know, whether we get to the 175 gigawatts by 2022 is, is less relevant. The bigger issue is that I think the government has really put a stake in the sand to move the needle in the right direction towards this whole tra energy transition that's happening. I think the two other areas that I think is going to drive this whole change, India's demand for energy is going to increase by 3x by 2040. So we've got about 1.4 billion people today in India, and that's going to drive uh, industrialization, is going to drive the entire demand expectation of energy. The second part is that over the last uh, uh, you know, 19 years, from 2000 to 2019, 750 million people have gained access to the grid. And that's been one of the biggest changes that have happened in India over the last 10, 15 years is the accessibility of energy by vast amounts of population. Now, just think about what's gonna happen as this entire population is getting access to energy uh, and over close to about 95% of the country now has access to energy. Uh, that is gonna, the, the requirement of energy is only gonna increase and that's gonna drive this whole requirement of more energy. And therefore, in this whole energy transition that's happening, the government is focusing not only on wind and solar, but also in terms of gas. Today, gas capacity consumption in India is roughly 66% of the total energy mix, and the government wants to increase that to 15% by 2030. If we look at it from a per capita emissions perspective, which is in India right now at about 1.6 tons of CO2 per person per capita, which is also well below the global average of about 4.4 tons, and totally in the global mix, we had about 6.4%. So the good news, Tekla, is the fact that, you know, the trains left the station. Um, there's a huge push to make this happen, combined with the fact that I think going forward, it's not only going to be about energy. We are all going to require to take a more holistic approach in this whole energy transition in terms of EV, uh, storage, uh, battery technologies, so I think it's going to take a combined holistic view beyond just electricity and energy generation to start moving the needle in sustainability, uh, not only in India, but across the world. Yeah, I'd be very impressive. I mean, the, the, tra the trains have less the station, but there's, there's certainly a, a very long journey ahead. Um, and these numbers, of course, um, are, are huge, especially when you, when you compare them to, to some of the European markets that we have here. One additional question um, would be what is the potential for, for offshore wind in India? Um, India has around uh, 7,600 kilometers of, of coastline. Uh, can some of that be used for offshore wind? And I would assume that the West Coast might be better suited than the East Coast. That's right, Tekla. I think the government of India is taking, looking at all potential opportunities, and one of them is offshore wind. 
Uh, and the government has actually selected a couple of sites on the west coast of India and on the southern tip of India. I think the challenge right now for us in India is really uh, the cost of offshore wind relative to onshore wind and relative to solar. Just to put it in perspective, Tekla, my first solar farm I commissioned uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, our tariff was about 18 rupees a kilowatt hour, which is in the order of magnitude of about uh, 25 US cents a kilowatt hour. My first wind project, onshore wind project was about six rupees 50, which is just about 10 US cents a kilowatt hour. Today's PPAs in India are trading at about two rupees 50 a kilowatt hour, which is about three US cents. That is the change that has happened in a period of about eight to nine years in the world of renewable energy. So with that uh, decline in energy costs in terms of generation for wind and solar, uh, onshore wind uh, is what I mean. Therefore, when you look at the holistic price points of energy generation, uh, the cost of offshore wind is still uh, significantly high. However, I think the government of India is very clear that this is uh, an area they want to focus on to, in order to create a wider mix of energy sources. And that is something they're very keen on. So the project is still, uh, it's at, it's, it hasn't started yet, but I think somewhere in the next one year, I'm sure things have got a little delayed because of COVID, but somewhere in the next one year, uh, we will see a fair bit of action on the offshore wind side. The only other point I'd say to Cloud that is absolutely amazed in the world of energy is the speed at which innovation is happening to make uh, the cost of energy cheaper. Uh, like I said to you, cost of solar going from you know, 20 plus US cents down to three cents, cost of generation of wind power from 10 down to three. Uh, it is that kind of innovation that I'm sure uh, every day, every month you know, from now, uh, offshore wind has also seen significant declines over time. And I'm sure there'll be further uh, innovation happening uh, as, as the rotor diameters of these offshore wind turbines get larger and larger. And as innovation gets more into the way the piling is done or the way these offshore wind turbines are installed, all that would lead to more economies of scale in reducing the cost of energy generation. Absolutely. And I mean, this is also in line with what we see um, happening worldwide, falling costs, um, making a um, the build out of renewable energy um, much more uh, bankable. Do you see um, a lot of merchant build out uh, in India um, or will it be over PPAs? And how is the subsidy scheme for the moment in India? The government of India has taken a very uh, proactive approach, not only to look at large utility scale wind and solar power generation, but also uh, look at merchant power and also look at you know, power, what we call for commercial industrial consumers. So today um, we have the ability to produce power not only for grid scale and utility scale, but also for uh, commercial industrial users and therefore what we would call more like merchant power bases. So the answer is yes, they are all available. The market is fairly open. Um, and therefore as a power generator, I have the option to decide whether to get into a long-term BPA with the distribution company or the DISCOM or with the central government or with a CNI consumer, a private CNI consumer. 
So today we as power generators have the ability to decide who we want to sell the power to. Um, and therefore I just feel that uh, market dynamics are going to keep going up and going down. As you know, across the world, uh, you know, at some point you have the commercial industrial segment uh, becoming more attractive than over time, the long-term uh, PPAs get more attractive. And as you know, Tekla, there are many, many factors that go into driving, uh, whether it's merchant power or utility power based on financing conditions, PPAs, uh, availability of financing, cost of financing, so uh, return requirements. So all these, all these key factors go into decide which segment of the power market is going to grow to what extent and when. And that's similar what, to what we see in India as well. So we had a period of time some years ago where the CNI market was very hot. And then the new central government PPS came about, which has now become very hot. So over time, we're going to see these cycles of innovation happening and cycles of market realities happening that will drive certain pockets of renewables around the world. Thank you, TP, for, for this short introduction um, to, to Indian renewable markets. And I'm sure we could talk about this um, for hours. Uh, but we decided that we would focus today uh, on another topic that we're really passionate about, which is artificial intelligence. Um, and we will talk about the incredible work that you're doing to, to drive AI forward and the various applications that uh, you see, some of which are, are truly groundbreaking. Um, so we will talk about two broad areas, uh, AI in gener uh, in energy generation and AI in energy consumption, um, or in other words, energy efficiency and, and sustainability. So there's a lot of definitions flying around. Uh, so for our listeners, um, would you mind defining what you understand by artificial intelligence? I think to break it up, Tekla, just to make it really simple, Artificial intelligence is really the intelligence demonstrated by machines, unlike natural uh, intelligence that is displayed by humans. So that is really, in a nutshell, what it is. It's really the intelligence that, co that computers have uh, and machines have to think and, and put together vast amounts of data in order to provide uh, some insights. And what this really does is it describes the way these machines or computers uh, mimic cognitive functions that humans associate with the human mind. And that's really what artificial intelligence is. But the fascinating thing about what's making all this really exciting, in my view, is four or five key factors that have come together, Tekla, that's really making all this uh, entire field of AI become really exciting. My perspective is, one is uh, the cost of sensors have come down dramatically over the last seven, eight years, that is making the ability to provide connectivity or what they call IoT more easier. Uh, so that is point number one. Point number two is mobility, the ability to gather vast, some vast amounts of data from virtually any corner of the world. How do you actually collect all that data and cleanse all that data? So that's point number two. Point number three is high-performance compute. Once upon a time, only a couple of large uh, technology companies had access to this high-performance high compu computational power. But today, it's become very democratic. Everybody in the world has access to high-performance computing power. The fourth one is the cloud. The cloud is making all this very easily scalable and accessible. 
And I joke with people, this is what's happening in the world of technology that AI is becoming and machine learning is becoming democratized. That even a, a, a person in a small little town of India of say a Nagpur or a Kanpur or a tier two or a tier three city has access to computing power that anybody in California has. And the fifth thing is people, education, and the human capital availability in India. That today we have so many engineers and highly qualified computer science experts and AI experts in India. And it's this collaboration of these five key elements that's really making AI, IoT, the ability to connect data, to analyze data, and to actually provide insights that's really making it fascinating in the way we can use this data in really every walk of life. Now, I focus on the industrial side of things, whether it's energy, manufacturing, supply chain, et cetera. But really, if I take a step back, this power of giving computers and machines the ability to think like the human mind and give it similar kinds of cognitive capabilities is what's making it really exciting about its expansion into virtually every field of life. India seems really well placed also to drive AI applications, and we'll be talking about them uh, in a few minutes, uh, but really to drive AI applications uh, for the world uh, with, as you said, having so much resources um, to, to be deployed on, on this topic. To give a better understanding around why you've put so much effort on AI applications, why is it such an important field, especially in, in times of COVID-19 and in these last couple of months? Thanks for that question, Tekla, because it's really a question for the, for the times that we are living in. Uh, let me I share think. with you the story of what happened with us. In early April... Uh, a couple of large corporations came to us, uh, one of the world's largest FMCG companies, uh, one of the largest auto companies in India, and one of the largest electrical goods manufacturing companies in India. And they came to us with three requests. One, employees and factory workers and our workforce will always remember what CEOs and management do to keep their people safe in a time of crisis. Number one. Number two, how do we ensure we can prevent lost production? In other words, COVID spread so rapidly on a factory floor that I'm finding it hard in some, in a lot of the manufacturing companies whose board I sit on to plan manufacturing lines given the challenges we are having with the spread of COVID. And the third one is how do we ensure business continuity? So we started thinking about, we had all this AI technology our Orion platform that is actually used, uh, you know, on which all our AI algorithms sit. We have the ability to connect software to hardware. So we had all the basic fundamental capabilities on our Orion platform <clears throat> to do IoT for connectivity, to do algorithms on AI, and to provide insights. The challenge for us is how do we take all this technology and adapt it for these COVID times? So therefore we came up with three technologies to sort of solve these challenges. The challenges we were trying to solve were six of them. One is how do we avoid social distancing? How do we track mass? How do we do an audit trail? How do we get a declaration? Um, and the question was, uh, how do we actually do all these things for, for all these companies 
So I'll quickly repeat it. Social distancing, mask, temperature tracking, declaration, contact tracing, and an audit trail. So we thought we wanted to solve these six problems, and therefore we came up with these three technologies. The first one is called Trust AI. What we were able to do prior to Corona was to connect any camera anywhere in the world. It didn't matter how old it was or what brand it was, and no CapEx is involved. We were able to connect these cameras and using computer vision models, send out an alert when somebody's not wearing a helmet or a safety jacket. What we've done in the last 16, 17 weeks during COVID is to train our, social, our, our, our computer vision models to detect social distancing. So what we've been able to do is connect any camera, get all the data through our edge application, which is sort of where the brains sit. It analyzes all this feed. And then through the cloud, we send out an alert to the AI application, which is given to the health officer, the safety officer, which captures every time a social distancing breach happens in a factory, it shows up on his screen. And therefore the health officer can then see whether they're repeat offenders or where the hotspots are being created in factories. So that's the first technology that we rolled out. The second technology, which was never done before, was this large, this large FMCG company came and said, TP, we've got 80,000 people. We need a really low cost technology. We need to really roll it out very, very quickly. And we need to scale it up very, very efficiently. So we came up with a new technology to make cell phones communicate with each other. So it doesn't matter whether it's an iPhone or an Android. As soon as two phones come within two meters, the phones actually start buzzing. So it's an active defense system rather than a passive defense system. And it immediately warns people when they come within the two meters distance. However, the real value of the application is the fact that what it can do is it can actually do contact tracing so that if somebody gets temperature, it acts like an early warning system. It gets logged into the AI application at the back end. So the health officer or the safety officer and then immediately track it. Five days later, I get COVID positive. The health officer then can go back 10 days, 20 days, 40 days, find out who are the 400 people I came across and identify the six people who are most likely to get COVID so they can be taken out of the production line and the remaining 80,000 people are kept safe. So that's what they've been doing and rolling it out across factories, across India and, and, all, over the, and all over the world. And then the third technology we came out was in those situations where uh, phones are not allowed on the factory floor and where they don't have sufficient number of cameras. So what we've done is taken our RTLS technology and this technology was kept, is used in the real world under normal circumstances to really track man material machine flows on a production line. So we adapted that same technology, took the chip and put it into a wearable device. The technology is called Spot AI, so that when two people wearing a device that looks like a little, like a Fitbit or like a little watch or an ID card or a little tag, when people with that little Fitbit looking device or that little ID card comes within two meters, the devices immediately buzzes and sends out a sound and therefore it warns people when they get very close. At that same instance, uh, uh, a breach is recorded at the backend AI application, which the health officer can take notice of so that down the road, if somebody gets COVID, you can use contact tracing and protect, and protect the people 
so that not everybody gets infected. You're just able to take out the few people who could potentially get COVID. So those are the three technologies we've rolled out in the last 20 weeks across companies uh, to really come up with frugal solutions uh, and at the same time, scalable solutions and something that we can give to the whole world very, very quickly to protect lives and help people come back to work. Oh, thank you, GP. That, that, that is really impressive. And it seems to me that the, the basic idea is, um, is always pretty similar. You use a camera, you use a sensor um, to track something. Uh, by the way, we have a, a kind of a Corona app also here in Germany that um, that warns us if uh, somebody that we were uh, close to um, has, was affected um, in the last couple of days. Um, however, the phones do not buzz uh, when when you get close to somebody uh, within two meters. Um, to be to be honest, it would be buzzing quite a lot um, if if we had that on the phones um, here. Um, but it's, it seems uh, like a, you're doing a huge impact um, and, and help the situation, uh, which, which is pretty tough in India around um, the coronavirus. Um, and I'm truly inspired by what you're doing. Um, let's, let's take a moment to, to get the conversation back to, to energy here. Um, and um, where do you see AI coming in in energy? And um, how is AI going to change the, the way we produce and consume energy going forward? Tekla, going back to my story in terms of what's happening, when we take a step back and you look at the cost of energy over the last 10 years, and when I say energy, I'm referring to renewable energy. Like I said, all over the world, we've seen a dramatic decline in the cost of energy generation around the world. Now, what that also does is puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the people who produce energy in order to make the returns, in order to make the cost economics work. Right. So as a result of that, you know, think about it. If your power generation cost is down to three, three US cents, is the cost that me as a power generator gets paid for my customer, then what happens is that the entire supply chain gets squeezed. In other words, my panel suppliers, my wind turbine suppliers, my inverter suppliers. And in addition to all that, you also start putting a lot of pressure on your O&M costs in order to keep the, plant, uh, keep the plant operating at the highest possible levels. Now, this is where the challenge comes, is that if at three US cents, if trying to make a fair return becomes very difficult, and therefore the only way that you're able to provide that economic return is by really transforming operations and maintenance in the power plant and therefore move towards creating what I call the digital power plant. And as a result of that, when these things started happening for me, that's when I figured I need to do something different. So that's number one. Number two, about six, seven years ago, as all of us know, wind turbines are machines and components do fail. Uh, and usually what I used to find is that it's the failure of the smallest component that shuts down an entire turbine. So a $100 failure of a battery would shut down a $3 million turbine. That kept happening. And the maintenance of my turbines are usually done by the OEMs. Uh, you know, all the large corporations like GE, Vesta, Siemens, Camesa, Suslon, etc. One day, about six, seven years ago, one of my turbines burned down to ashes. That's when I figured I needed to do something differently. So that's how this journey of Orion started. So when we created this company, it's called Industry.ai, 
we ended up creating this enterprise AI platform. It's called Orion, where we started collecting hundreds of tags of data every minute from all our wind farms and solar farms. We started developing a large number of algorithms to predict failures in a gearbox, generator, bearing, inverter, hundreds of hours before the turbine shut down so we could prevent another burn or a fire or, or a shutdown of my turbine. And the real focus was how do we improve machine availability of all our assets? So, how do, so what we ended up doing was improve machine availability of all our assets from the high 80s to the high 90s. And as a result of it, saw an incredible improvement in return on investment on all, on all our wind and solar farm investments. So that's how this journey started. And then over time, a large number of utilities from around the world came to us and said, listen, why don't you help us out as well? And therefore, now we've collected, connected thousands of solar farms and wind, wind turbines. In all parts of the world, we get the data onto our platform, Orion. And from our control center in Bangalore, we're able to send out alerts uh, to, to predict when there's going to be a component failure, how do we improve generation, and therefore improve returns. So that's really how the journey started. And therefore, the three core elements is, one is getting the data from the machines. Two is once we have all the data, how do you cleanse all the data? Because if you think about it, every turbine has a different SCADA, PLCs, different structured data, different unstructured data, different formatting in different countries. So how do you take all these wind farm, solar farm data? How do you cleanse all this data? And once we cleanse it, we then uh, push the data onto our platform where all the algorithms sit. That's where you actually run all the algorithms. And these algorithms could vary from on the wind side, from your misalignment to icing, to blade pitch angle, to useful life remaining for different components, to power curve deviation on the wind side. So uh, that's when these algorithms start running. On the solar side, we've done a lot with regards to soiling loss, uh, inverter efficiency, uh, loss computationals, uh, module temp predictions. Uh, so therefore, how do you, you know, we the, the computers start running all these algorithms and automatically send out alerts in terms of what maintenance activities or what insights that the site owner or the site manager needs to do. So that's how we've been applying AI in really driving revenue generation or how do we reduce, uh, bring in efficiencies on the cost side uh, in terms of operating wind and solar assets all over the world. But let me just add one other point, Tekla, that if you think about it, the actual asset owners around the world uh, are not only utilities, but also large financial investment investors and funds uh, that have deployed billions of dollars in owning and operating wind and solar farms. So we also work with a lot of financial investors in tracking their investments to help them you know, extract value from all the investments that they've made in these wind and solar farms. Yeah, I mean, super interesting. It seems to be there's a lot of potential uh, still to to improve um, the the whole O and M part uh, of it. Uh, I mean, the the reason why um, the wind and solar has been so become so competitive and the OCUs have come down so much was basically improvements in the technology, so higher turbines, uh, more efficient solar panels. Um, do you see also AI applications actually uh, in the development and, and construction part, or is it mostly um, O and M? 
I think Tekla, it goes back to the where the most value generation could be. Uh, so far, the focus is more on the O&M side, uh, less on the construction side, but I am sure there will be new innovation happening. For example, on the foundation designs of wind turbines, uh, you know, uh, there will be uh, certain AI tools coming into civil engineering uh, when you're actually constructing these uh, uh, wind farms. But I'll tell you where the future is going to be really interesting from a construction perspective. As we are collecting more and more data in terms of performance of wind and solar farms, what we are able to assess is the performance of different inverters, different modules, different structures, different design elements. And therefore, what we are going to be, what we are exploring is how do you take all this data to really drive efficiencies in manufacturing going forward as well. So if we can reduce the cost of CapEx of building a wind farm or a solar farm by even 5%, that could have a huge impact on the return on investment. And that's what we're trying to do is assess the performance of different turbines, inverters, uh, soiling patterns in different parts of the country, because as you know, in India, we're finding soiling is becoming a really big issue because of pollution. And, and therefore, uh, the way we, uh, these kinds of analysis can really drive uh, changing the way we design solar farms and wind farms going forward. Let me just state a few more examples of, of how AI is really making a big impact. We had a situation for one of the brand new uh, so, uh, wind farms in Norway, where we saw that it had just been commissioned uh, in, in around October, around September, August, September. But as the winter came in, we found the generation of the, of the turbines coming down significantly. And we couldn't figure out why that was happening uh, because if there were fairly new turbines and, this, and the generation kept coming down. And it was only when the computer started then quickly analyzing the performance of all the wind surrounding wind farms and starting to correlate all the data to figure out why the performance of this wind farm was coming down. We were able to find that there was icing buildup on the blades that was causing this deterioration in performance. In the blades, there were no heating elements in the blade that was causing this problem. So I can go on and share with you many live examples like this that we face every day in, in challenges and how AI is driving better performance generation in wind and solar assets. Yeah, I mean, all the all the examples that you're telling me are hugely impressive and uh, it's incredible what you can find out by, by aggregating uh, data and um, yeah, structuring data that so far hasn't been analyzed yet. Um, Let's talk a bit about a, a focus area um, for you right now. Um, you told me that in the last couple of months, due to the COVID-19 crisis, you've been kind of shifting away a little bit from focusing on energy generation and now focusing more on the energy consumption side, which is kind of optimizing energy and increasing operational and, and financial efficiency. Um, why is that? COVID is making a lot of people think very, very differently uh, about cost structures. Uh, as you are aware, in the manufacturing world, supply chains have been broken um, and everybody's looking at, you know, uh, a zero cost methodology in reassessing and reevaluating 
cost structures for manufacturing. Uh, when I started talking to friends in the real estate sector, what I found was given the fact that like a lot of us who've been working from home the last couple of months because of the lockdown, uh, there's a lot of pressure on real estate asset owners because of the lack of utilization of their buildings. Uh, and therefore we are in a crisis mode around the world as you're aware of yeah. that everybody's trying to reassess uh, the way business is done. Uh, so therefore what we started doing was uh, prior to Corona, we were looking at how do we now apply AI uh, on the power uh, and the energy consumption side. Prior to Corona, we didn't really get much success, but it's been fascinating how in the last 18 to 20 weeks, interest levels in really focusing on the power generation side. So when we started digging deeper, what we started doing was going and visiting a large number of factories and buildings, commercial buildings, to assess what their energy strategies are and what they're actually doing. And a couple of key things came out, which was really surprising. One, the focus on energy savings or on the consumption side in terms of driving sustainability, net zero emissions, and reducing the carbon footprint has not really taken hold on the building side and the factory side, but increasingly, it's a more important factor for everybody. Two, we said, okay, if it is getting important and because of COVID, everybody wants to reduce the energy costs, how do we go about connecting the data? But what we found when we climbed up a lot of the buildings was they don't even have the basic BMS systems, which is the building management systems, to even collect the data from different parameters of the building before we could even do AI. Three, even if the building had a BMS system, when I would go into these buildings and factories, you would have one system for energy, one system for fire, another one for safety, security, air, water, ETP, STP, lighting. So you would have many fragmented systems. So therefore, people who are looking at these systems were really challenged trying to put all the data together because there were little, little components of subsystems. The fourth point, standardization. There really wasn't any standardization because every OEM that makes a BMS or an EMS, an energy management system, or a water treatment system platform uh, of application or a fire and safety application, each one had was built on different uh, computer science protocols, um, and therefore they didn't communicate with each other. So when we looked at all these parameters, that we really felt that the system was broken. And more importantly, from a business perspective, in multi-tenanted buildings, it was even worse because what we found was that the building owner, uh, uh, he doesn't manage the building because he gives the management of the building to a facility management company. Uh, the tenant ends up paying the bill. The, the, the building owner pays only a small component of it because that's what he gets in maintenance. So he pays only some part of the electricity cost because that's the common area charges that goes into the elevator or the HVAC or the chiller. And the last point is those CAM costs are a pass through to the owner, to the tenant. So he, it really didn't affect him that much. This is when we thought we need to change the game. So therefore what we did Tekla was use our IoT, IoT experience and the ability to make sensors and gateways communicate 
with our platform. So think about hardware to software communication. What we figured out was we could figure out a way to make all these systems uh, communicate with our platform in order to extract the data. But the key difference is we didn't even, we didn't only look at energy, we looked at it as a holistic system to connect water, air, gas, electricity, steam, fire, safety, security, every element that goes into a building or a factory uh, to bring all that data in onto the platform, then use AI to then provide insights in driving operational efficiencies in the way people run these buildings to drive sustainability and energy efficiency. That's number one. Number two is that it's not only about the operational part, which is the technology part I just talked about, but also other two other critical elements is from an architecture and design perspective, how do you use AI to drive efficiencies in that perspective? And the third one is in terms of communities and social environment. How do you bring together people into this whole equation? And therefore, going forward, I, as everybody knows, the 330-300 rule, that the energy component of a building is only $3. The rent is $30. The actual cost of the people is $300. So therefore, what our goal is, how do you use the platform and the application, which is called conserve.ai? How do you use conserve.ai to transform the way, not only the way we do energy efficiency, but also give customers a better user experience in the building environment going forward and therefore drive efficiencies in managing buildings. Yeah, and I mean, it, buildings are a really great example of uh, how much can still be done. Uh, and I feel in general, we're talking about a lot about how to reduce emissions um, in electricity generation, uh, but energy efficiency is an area that that oftentimes um, is kind of underrated or, or discussed uh, too little um, in, in the policy discussions that I see around the world. So unfortunately, um, uh, TP, we're, we're coming slowly to an end um, of our discussion. Um, but maybe just one final question, because you are, um, you know, scaling so many new ideas in a in a such a, a fast manner, um, and and you're an incredibly inspiring entrepreneur. Um, what would you say um, makes a company successful? Let me just say two things, right? Um, if I can just add one other critical element for your last question, then I'll move on to your last question regarding uh, a successful company is that I just feel going forward, one of the biggest takeaways from COVID in terms of our environment is uh, you know, the concept of a healthy building or a healthy factory. And therefore, I really do believe that the power of AI and IoT can go a long way to create a healthy building environment. And that's what we want to do, not only through the COVID perspective, but also in terms of energy performance, air quality, safety, security. So I just wanted to share that perspective. But coming on to your last question about in terms of what you think uh, makes a successful company, there are many multiple, multiple things, uh, Tekla, that I've had in my own personal experience in that journey of what makes a successful company. But if there was just one key thing that uh, you wanted me to highlight, and I'd say it's people. Because at the end of the day, a successful company is one that really has the ability to give people the ability to dream, 
to give them the ability to go out there and conquer, to give them the ability to go out and innovate, and to really be passionate about making a difference. And I think the day all of us in the working world are able to attract the like-minded people who share that same passion and excitement about the future, about making a difference, about really going out there and driving change in this world. I really do believe uh, once you have those right people, magic just happens. Wow, thank you, TP. Um, that that is that is a, a wonderful way of putting it. And um, to be honest, this is also how we how we think about um, growing a successful company here at Aurora. So thank you very much for for sharing those insights. So we've come to an end of of today's podcast, uh, which was all about uh, the Indian uh, market and about the potential of artificial intelligence, um, not only in in energy but also um, how to tackle some of the the, the really big issues around uh, COVID-19. My guest on the show today was T.P. Chopra, founder and CEO of Bharat Light and Power. T.P., thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That was Tekla Von Bulow, project leader for commission projects at Aurora's Berlin office, speaking to T.P. Chopra, founder and CEO of the Bharat Light and Power Group. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye.